The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. The word of God speaks to us like this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future are all yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of God to us. Thanks Thanks be to God. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. How are we? We good? I don't know what it says about me, but I am glad I'm not running the marathon today. <clears throat> I, uh, I don't like running. Um, actually, no, I just, I just love being with you. That's the re- No, it's both. I love being with you, and I don't love running. Hey, my name is Jeff Nine. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to get a chance to, to meet you. My, uh, I, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, if you have any questions about the church or, uh, or anything at all, would love to, uh, love to get a chance to get to know you. And, and specifically, if you're here and you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. Uh, it means a lot to us that you would be here. And I just want to say, hey, you're, uh, you're welcome to everything we do on Sundays. You're welcome to our community groups. We'd love to you to, to come. And here's the thing. I, I want you to come, but I want you to come also with your questions, your doubts, and your skepticism. There's, there's no questions that's going to get you pushed out the door. There's no skepticism that's going to get you stiff-armed. Um, we believe what the Bible says is true, and we would love to, to dialogue with you about what is it that God uh, is saying in his word and, uh, and answer any questions you have. The, um, so anyway, all that to say, we'd love to Love to process that with you if you have any questions. Uh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. The, the, the text that we're jumping into, the, the topic we're jumping into, I think is of critical importance for the church generally at all times. But I, but I think particularly, and I feel this particularly for our church in our moment today. Uh, so let's pray. God, would you speak to us through your word? We're not interested in wisdom that we can conjure up. We need to hear your word, but we don't want to just hear your word as mere data for our brain. We are asking you that as you speak to us today, you would form our hearts. Teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as a young church plant, if you're new here and you're not aware that this church is fairly new, we uh, have only been a, been a church gathering out here in Yukon. Uh, Frontline Yukon has only been a, been a church for the last uh, a little less than two years. And so there's a lot of ways in which when you're planning a new church, you're, you're, you're just getting started. You're putting pieces in place. There's a lot to, to, to go on. Uh, one of the things that if you're, if you're not familiar with church planning, let me just let you in on a little secret. There are lots of challenges. It's really hard. <laughs> Now, if you've been here uh, for a little while and you've just been kind of peeking over the fence, you're like, man, everything looks smooth and everything, you guys seem to be doing great. Let me let you know, uh, I'm glad it looks like that from your vantage point, doesn't from mine. From mine, I recognize the challenges and the struggles that we face on a regular basis. And, and if you're leading in any capacity in this church, you're aware of them as well. There, there are hard things when you're doing ministry in a place with the people. 
There are challenges we face. But with those challenges come a set of temptations as well. A set of temptations that think that maybe if we just pull the right lever, we'll get the right result. There's a temptation to think that maybe somebody else will do that task or move towards that person or care for that person. I don't really need to do that. There's a temptation to think that if I read the right magazine article, if I read the right blog post, if I listen to the right podcast, I'll know exactly how to navigate life and navigate ministry and navigate challenges in the church. That we think we can, we, we, we are tempted to believe our, that we're strong enough and that we're wise enough. Matter of fact, this is a gravitational pull that's constantly pulling us to self-reliance. Well, Paul's writing the book of 1 Corinthians to a young church plant. Now, we don't know exactly how old they were, but they were no more than a couple of years old. Paul has planted this church, has gone on left and planted other churches, and is writing back to them after hearing reports of what's going on in the church. What he's hearing are the challenges that they're facing. What he's hearing are the ways in which they're being tempted to rely on their own strength and their own wisdom. And he's recognizing the gravitational pull in them that we feel, which is this gravitational pull towards self-reliance. We've got, we're strong enough, we're wise enough, and we can do this. This is why we, as a young church plant, need this book of 1 Corinthians. Not because we're exactly like this church, not that we're facing the exact same situation, but we need to hear because this book was not written simply to the church of Corinth. If God meant this letter to only be for Corinth, we would have no more record of it. But he actually kept this in his Bible, in his word for us. So this book is for us. And so we want to hear from God what he's saying to us, particularly about what does it mean to be a church that actually walks in the way of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to these words in, uh, of Paul to Corinth, I want us to listen and look at the words of Jesus himself. I want us to look at the words of Jesus himself. We have over the last couple of weeks been studying about the last days of Jesus. This, this, the, the things that he taught, the things that he did as he leads into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. These are the words we've been studying in Mark of what does he say to us? Well, in the, in the, in the corresponding uh, story in the gospel of John, we get these particular words that Jesus says to his disciples mere hours before he will be arrested. Mere hours before he will be arrested. If you got your Bibles, pull them out and look at John 15, starting in verse 26. John 15, verse 26. Jesus says this to his followers. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Verse 1 in chapter 16. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when your, the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You see, they don't, the, the, the disciples don't know what's about to happen. They don't know what the, the next couple of hours, the next couple of days, the next couple of months, the next couple of years. They don't know what they're about to face, but Jesus does. And so what Jesus tells, tells them is that I am sending the helper to be with you, to be with you in that day. To be with you in that day. 
Verse 7, though, he makes a claim that almost none of his disciples, well, probably none of his disciples in that moment believed. And I, and I would venture that many of us in this room don't actually believe these words deep. Verse 7, Jesus makes this outrageous comment. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage that I go away? Is Jesus on crack? I mean, look, they have been walking with Jesus, being led by Jesus, taught by Jesus. They have seen the miracles he's done, and he has been right by their side as they have faced opposition and challenge and struggle. Jesus was by their side, and they could go, hey, Jesus, how do I, encounter, how do I deal with this situation? Hey, Jesus, what do I do here? Hey, Jesus, explain that to me. Jesus has been right by them. And what the, what the disciples of Jesus are about to do is they're about to venture into, into spaces and encounters that they never, foresaw, never saw coming that will, that will lead them, uh, that would leave them in tons of fear and tons of uncertainty. And they would have desperately wanted Jesus by their side. But here's what Jesus says. It is better for you that I'm not by your side, but that I send my Holy Spirit to be with you. And that was true for the disciples and it's true for us. How many of us would say it would be way better if just Jesus would come to work with me? If I could take Jesus to be my community group leader. If Jesus could be with me when I go to that family reunion so I don't get myself in trouble. If, if only Jesus was with me when I went to the hospital to pray for my friend. But Jesus says, it's better that I go, that you might, that I might send the spirit to you. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I, I, I want to focus on right now on these two phrases that Paul uses to, uh, to, to, to talk about the Holy Spirit. He talks first about the Holy Spirit as a helper, a helper. Now, what we... No, I hope we know. And if not, let me clear it up right now. He doesn't mean he's your secretary. He's just this little uh, aide or assistant that comes along and kind of helps you out of, out of binds. This word helper is much deeper, much richer, much, much full of meaning than that. Matter of fact, the first time that we see this word used is in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, God has created Adam. But he tells Adam, you're not enough by yourself. You're, you, you, you need a helper with you. And Adam, or that God creates for Adam a helpmate, he creates Eve to come alongside. That Eve was not to come alongside as a secretary and assistant, but actually as a partner in ministry, in mission, to actually to come alongside as a collaborator in the mission that God has given them. And that together they're working in mission. This helper is, is, is not a, a somebody who comes alongside to just do the, my dirty work for me or, or just ca, ca, pull me out in a pinch, but actually to partner on mission together. And then he talks about the spirit of truth. It was fascinating that Jesus says, there are some things I can't tell you now 
that I'm going to tell you later. I'm going to tell you later by the spirit of truth. We live in a day, do we not, in which um, truth, well, let's just say there's a lot of people that think they got it. There's a lot of people that think they have it, that they're going to tell you, this is the wise way. This is the way forward. This is the way to life. But what Jesus says is, in the midst of all of these different voices will come one voice, a voice of truth, the spirit of truth. I read all of that because it is this understanding that Jesus sends the spirit that grounds our text this morning in 1 Corinthians, what we just read. So I want us to look at that passage with this in mind of what Jesus says about the spirit. And let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says to the church at Corinth, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, he will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks, uh, if any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. As much as I would love to unpack so much in this text, there's so much rich uh, theology and truth here. I want us to focus in on this understanding of the church as a temple, the church as a temple. If you remember, when we were looking at the last couple chapters of Mark, this started in Mark 11 and it went through mostly through the end of the book, this resounding theme that Jesus kept talking about the fact that the temple was going to be destroyed, but a new temple was going to raise. And by that, what he meant was he would be raised as the new temple, the place in which the presence of God dwelt in, in, in a place of prayer for God's people, that Jesus himself was going to replace the temple with himself. But if we continue to read in the New Testament, you see another thing at work, that there's this idea in which we, as the church, are brought in as the body of Christ in such a way that the text, the Bible, the New Testament actually calls us a temple, that we are the temple of God, the place of God's presence here on earth. And what's interesting about this is Paul doesn't say, hey, if you do things right, you can become the temple. Paul doesn't say, hey, here are, the, here are the things you ought to do in order to be the temple. He declares you are the temple. Why does he say that? He says you are the temple because you have the spirit, right? You are the temple because you have the spirit. This is a fascinating declaration. We are not the temple because we earned it, because we, we, because we do all the right things. We are the temple because God's spirit is with us. Some people like to say that Oklahomans don't know how to talk, right? I don't understand this. Because there is a particular grammatical feature in Greek that we've got in Oklahoman that most English ain't got. And it's the word y'all. The word y'all. Can I hear an amen? All right. This, this, these verses in chapter, uh, cha uh, verses 16 and 17 use the word you that because they're translating with a, uh, a, a lesser version of English, it doesn't come through. So I want to read this in the way it ought to be translated. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's 
spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. I, I say that it, because it's funny, but it actually is true. This is a plural you in this verse. This has often been taught like you're a temple and you're a temple and you're a temple. That's not what's happening in this text. The text is saying that when we come together as the spirit of God is given. Now, now it, it, I don't want to pull back from the idea that the spirit of God does dwell in each of us and, and has, has, has been, been pressed on our heart by faith. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not saying that the spirit of God doesn't lead you and give you gifts, but I'm saying that right here, what this is talking about is the way that the spirit of God works in us, through us, to form us into a place of God's presence and a place of prayer to be the temple of God. And this is true whether we know it or not. And this is true, honestly, friends, whether we live like it or not. But the Bible is also clear that we can often live in a way that contradicts the very declaration of what is true. I want to say this very, very clearly. The biblical text is clear. It is possible to have the Spirit and not walk by the Spirit. It is possible to have the Spirit of God given to you and not walk according to the Spirit. This is the tension of 1 Corinthians. Throughout the entire book, this is the primary tension because what Paul is saying to Corinth is you have been given the Spirit, but these are ways in which you're not walking according to the Spirit. I want us to back up to 1 Corinthians, the first couple verses in 1 Corinthians 3. And I want you to listen to Paul's work. I, I, I want you to hear his words to the church. And I want you to hear the ache in these words. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not, not solid food for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Or are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? This would have pained Paul to write. Because Paul knows the theological truth and he knows the real truth that, God's, that God has sent his spirit into the life of these believers into Corinth and has, sent them into the, and has sent the spirit into the community to form them as a temple, but they're not living that way. They're living according to the flesh. They're living according to earthly wisdom. This idea of being merely human basically means you're running on your own strength, self-reliance. Now, I don't think the church intentionally did this. We know that Paul would have taught them what it meant to, to walk by the Spirit. We know he would have taught them about what it meant to receive the gifts of the Spirit. They, he, we know that he would have taught them what does it look like to be a people that walk according to the Spirit because this was a constant thing in Paul's teaching. And I don't think the church was just like, yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds weird. We don't want to do that. We're going to go chase some other ideology. And the reason I say that is I think Paul's tone would have been a little different if that would have been the case. In other words, in other words, listen, Corinth didn't choose to go this direction. They drifted into it. 
The church at Corinth didn't go, no, we don't want the spirit. We've got it, Jesus. They drifted there. They drifted there. Unaware, they just continued to live in their own strength. They continued to live in their own power. They continued to live in their own wisdom. And Paul is saying, you need to wake up. You have drifted from who you are. If you read throughout the gospel of, or read throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, you see him confront the division and the disunity in the church. This language about when you destroy the temple, God will destroy you. He's talking about people that will, that will actually destroy the unity of the church. They're living life full of jealousy, strife, tribalism. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of this. I'm of that. We see throughout this book that they were leaning into their own wisdom and their own strength. They had become a self-reliant people, thinking they had enough wisdom and enough insight in themselves to navigate life the way they thought they needed to navigate it. If you go on to chapter, or to, to chapter 5, you'll see that they were tolerating immorality. Paul looks at this and he says, you're allowing a, a, a version of sexual immorality that the world around you rejects. So they had come to this idea, well, we're going to just apply the grace of God in this way, but they weren't actually pursuing holiness. And if we get to chapters 12, 13, and 14, you see Paul tell them, you have begun to use the gifts that the Spirit of God has given you to serve others in order to serve yourself. You've begun to use these gifts not to serve, but to be served. It's right here, friends, that I have the biggest concern for us as a church. I don't mean I have concern for you. I have a concern for us. Because it is really easy at this part in a church plant to think we've read the right books, we've got the right leaders, we've done this before as a church, we've planted churches, we've got a system down, we know how to do this. We've got our community groups lined up, we've got our kids' ministry lined up, we've got our youth ministry going. We're good, God. Probably need to go help the church down the street. A big concern for us is to drift, listen to me, drift into living by the flesh, not living by the spirit. So here's a question that I feel like we have to ask God to speak to us. What does it mean to be a people of the spirit? To answer that question, I want us to look at Paul's letter to another church that he planted, the church at Galatia. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 5. Let's hear these words from Paul. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, listen, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. And some of you in the room are going, Whew. he ain't done yet. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, 
dissensions, divisions. He ain't done. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Guys, none of us get out of that unscathed. His point is that all of us, all of us have seen these works of the flesh in our life. But then he says this, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is these things don't lead to life. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I think Paul gives to the church of Galatia here seven things that describe what it means to walk by the Spirit. So if we, Frontline Yukon, are to be a people that walk by the Spirit, we need to hear what he tells the church at Galatia. These are seven things that I think uh, can be pulled out of this text. Number one, that walking by the Spirit means not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We live in a day, in an age, in which what is preached from every tweet and every Facebook page and, and every blogger and podcaster is if you feel, if you feels good and it feels like something you want to do, just go do it. That somehow your desires, whatever they are, will lead to your happiness, will lead to your fulfillment. If you desire it, if you want it, it will be good for you. And this text says what is obvious in the world, no, it won't. There are deep desires in us that if left unchecked will kill us. It's like a thirsty man going and drinking salt water to quench thirst. We desire something, we consume the thing, and the thing A doesn't satiate and B slowly kills us. That we live in a world that tells us lies that the good life will be found in you chasing every desire you have. And that is not true. Walking by the spirit means not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Number two, walking by the spirit does not, or means not walking according to the flesh. And these are very similar, but there's, there's a difference here. In one case, I'm simply chasing the desires of the flesh. In, in the other, I am walking according to the principles of the flesh. I mean, look, we're Americans, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We got this thing. We're a nation full of entrepreneurs and, 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 and people that are self-reliant, independent spirit. I don't need anything. I can take care of this on my own. That is our culture. That's what our culture values and says we need. The world around us says you're strong enough, you're wise enough, and enough people like you, God on it, that, that you're going to make it. 
You're not clever enough. You're not wise enough. Walking by the Spirit means not walking according to the flesh. Number three, walking by the Spirit means being led and empowered by the Spirit. I think it's really critical here to understand that what he's talking about here is that it's the Holy Spirit that is not our compass pointing us in the right direction. He's our guide. He's not our compass. He's our guide. The Holy Spirit is not, is not a, a tool that we use to just find out what trajectory we're to follow. He is somebody that we follow behind. We, we walk in the way of the Spirit. Walk, uh, number four, walking by the Spirit means cultivating, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit of the Spirit that the text talks about here is something that He cultivates in us. It's not something that we cultivate in our. It's not something that we put into ourselves. It's not something I create in myself. I don't make myself a peaceful person. He does this. But the text does say that we cultivate these fruits as we pursue them. How often, friends, how often have we looked at our life and looked at that list and, and asked where they line up? I'm not expecting you to be perfect on that list. I'm not expecting any one of us to be perfect. But if we don't constantly look at that and go, am I a person of peace? Am I a person of joy? Am I pursuing these things or not? Then we're missing something. In the last couple of weeks, I've been preparing for some personal renewal coming up this summer and some time to to get away. And, And let me just be really honest. I have realized as I was processing this that I haven't felt joy in a really long time. I've been happy. I've been content. I've, I, felt, I haven't felt joy in a really long time. And I had to stop and, and stop and I had to reflect on this and I had, to, I had to own this. That joy is not a cheap add-on or a super spiritual add-on to life. It's what the Spirit brings out in us. Which means to some, to some degree or not, I have not been resting in the spirit in that way in my life. That there's some way in which I've become self-reliant to try to fulfill myself instead of resting on him and receiving from him joy. The fruits of the spirit are not optional super spirituality. It is what all of us are called to as we walk in the way of Jesus. Fifth, walking by the Spirit means belonging to Jesus. Friends, you do not belong to your political party. They do not call the shots. You do not belong to your religious tribe. You do not belong to your country club. You do not belong to your neighborhood. You do not belong to your family. You do not belong to these things that want to claim, uh, claim uh, ownership of you or possession of you. You belong to Jesus. And when we get these other alliances out of whack, we become, we say that we're about Jesus, but it's really a secondary identity underneath something else. Something else possesses me because something else controls me. But this text says that we belong to Jesus. Number six, walking by the Spirit means keeping in step with the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means keeping in step with the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is not here to help you do your thing. He calls you to join you in his. And so often we look to, we look to, to, uh, to the Holy Spirit kind of like one of the, uh, I love, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but Super Mario Brothers, right? Like it's really nice to have the little, when you're bigger because then you can at least go through one, um, I don't know what those things are, creature, and it won't kill you. It'll only make you small. And then I really like it when you get the, the thing that lets you shoot fire, the flower, right? Flower power. I, I love this. I, 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 I want to get this because it helps me do my thing. And too often we look at the Holy Spirit as our flower power, as, as my, my bonus, as my extra life, as my thing to add to help me do my thing. But to walk according to the Spirit means to keep in step with him. What's he doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing in my life? What's the Holy Spirit doing in my friends, in my community group? What's the Holy Spirit doing in my neighborhood? And let me follow him in that. We need to see where he's going and see what he's doing and join him. And lastly, walking by the spirit means we will be marked by humility, peace, and unity. This is in many ways the fruits of the spirit carried out in the communal. This is a sense in which as I walk in in the spirit and been formed by the spirit to have the fruit of the spirit, what it will look like in the community is that we will be a people marked by humility, peace, and unity. Can I just say that that right there is what our world desperately needs? Our world though is racked by pride, by war, and by division. But to walk by the Spirit means that we are a community. We are a people walking in communion with God and with each other. And as we do this, as we walk by the Spirit, friends, we will be marked by humility, by peace, and by unity. I think when it comes down to it, if we were to ask the question, Frontline Yukon, what does it mean for us to truly walk by the Spirit? I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of ourselves that, that, that approach life like three majors. If you're a parent and you've had a three-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. They know everything. They got everything. Stay out of their way. I'm three years old. I can walk. I can burp, I'm good. And what they do is they run headlong thinking they've got all the answers and all the strength and they got none of it. Friends, let me ask you this. How would, you, how would our prayers as a church change if we believed that the spirit of God was working in us? How would we pray different? How would we how would we approach conflict different? How would I approach my neighbors and my friends differently? What would it look like to look to the spirit for wisdom, for strength, to not be self-reliant, independent Americans, but to be dependent children of God filled with the spirit and empowered for what he's called us to That's a question that's been racking my brain all week long. 
That's a question that I can't get out of my heart this week. Because guys, we can answer all kinds of questions, but if we don't answer this one as a community, we're going to do exactly what Corinth did, and we're just going to slowly drift into self-reliance, self-knowledge, and the like. So what does it look like, friends, for us to pursue a life of the Spirit? I got two questions for you. And these are two questions I want you, we need to ask individually and we need to ask communally. So questions we need to ask individually and communally. Where are we walking in the flesh? In what way might Paul's word to Corinth apply to us that we are being merely human, merely of the flesh? The second question I ask is this. Where is the Holy Spirit inviting us to grow into what it means to walk by the Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit wants us to walk like this. The Holy Spirit is a gift for us. Where is he teaching us? Where is he pushing us? Where is he leading us? Where does our life look more like the flesh? And where is he inviting us to grow in the spirit? Those two questions have to drive us as a church or else we're going to drift just like Corinth. But I believe, and I believe this with everything I've got, is that as we pursue the life of the spirit, he's going to give more to this church than we ever imagined. I'm not talking possessions. I'm not talking power. I'm talking peace. I'm talking joy. I'm talking patience. I'm talking the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray.